Good day, everybody. This is Brandon with 238 Media. I just wanted to make sure I took some time to let you know about this great tool that helps me to keep my podcast moving at a really good rate of production. This tool is Anchor by Spotify, and it is probably one of the easiest ways to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a host of other options. It's everything you need in one place to make a podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free. So, hey, let me know what you think. And as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. All right. So good to be here again. I'm glad that you are back with us as we are picking up with our next installment of this study that we have been taking going throughout much of um, what has been a episode of ancient clapbacks as it relates to Tertullian's uh, posture towards the one that he calls Praxius. So we're going to be picking up today with chapter 11 and as with all of Tertullian's letters, uh, the title of each chapter is very long. So the identity of the father and the son as Praxis held it shown to be full of perplexity and absurdity. Many scriptures quoted in proof of the distinction of the divine persons of the Trinity. It will be your duty, however, to adduce your proofs out of scripture as plainly as we do. Now just, just listen to the tone. I mean, he's, he is pretty much saying the burden of proof is going to be on you when we prove that he now again, he here would be the father made his word a son to himself as discussed in against Praxis chapter five. The word is indisputably the inner thought or intentional plan within God. So from Tertullian's standpoint, the sonship has a creation. So let's look for if he calls him son. And if the son is none other than he who has proceeded from the father himself, and if the word has proceeded from the father himself, notice the, the usage of the word there uh, from the father himself, he will then be the son and not himself from whom he proceeded. He's saying the very fact that he proceeded from the father gives evidence that he can't possibly be the father for the father himself did not proceed from himself. Now, you who say that the father is the same as the son do really make the same person both to have sent forth from himself and at the same time to have gone out from himself as that being which is God. If it was possible for him to have done this, he at all events did not do it. <laughs> you talk about making it plain. You must bring forth the proof which I require of you. One like my own, that is. You must prove to me that the scriptures show the son and the father to be the same, just as I, I, on our side, the father and the son are demonstrated to be distinct. I say distinct, but not separate. Now, I'm very curious. Did and, and again, I haven't looked into the Greek manuscripts. I wonder did Tertullian really use the, the verbiage distinct uh, there But you know, I wonder with some of the translation, how much of this has been anachronistically interpreted back into his writings to give it the appearance of earlier Trinitarian orthodoxy. 
He will go on, for as my part, I produce the words of God himself. My heart hath emitted my most excellent word. So you in like manner ought to do some opposition to me. Some text where God has said, my heart has emitted myself as my own most excellent word. In such a sense that he himself, both the emitter and the emitted, both he who uh, sent forth and who, who was sent forth, since he is both the word and God. I bid you also observe that on my side, I advanced the passage where the father said to the son. Now notice the usage of this resurrection song, uh, song that's used here. This gets very interesting. He quotes, thou art my son. This day I have begotten you. If you want me to believe him to be both the father and the son, show me some other passage where it's declared. The Lord said unto my Lord, I am my own son. Today I have begotten myself. Wow. Look, look at the, <laughs> totally so funny. Uh, the way he's presenting the argument a bit, pretty much just based on the way he wants it to be understood. What uh, Praxis is saying, uh, or again, before the morning did I beget myself. And likewise, I, the Lord possessed myself in the beginning of my ways for my own works before all the hills too, did I beget myself. Now, what's interesting there, it seems like a quote from Proverbs, which if it is, I wonder, is he tying his view of the pre-incarnate Christ to the person of Proverbs, which is a female for context? And whatever other passages are to the same effect, why moreover could God, the Lord of all things, have hesitated to speak thus of himself if the fact had been so? Was he afraid of not being believed? If he had in so many words declared himself to be both the father and the son of the one thing, he was at any rate afraid of lying of himself too, and of his own truth. Was he afraid believing him therefore to be the true God? I am sure now notice how he is attributing the language of being true God to the father. This is more evidence that earlier uh, Trinitarians were monarchical uh, because True God is akin to the term true north, meaning this is the origin from which it uh, derives. I am sure that he declared nothing to exist in any other way than to his own dispensation and arrangement, and that he had arranged nothing in any other way than according to his own declaration. On your side, however, you must make him out to be a liar. Just, you, you just talk about spicy, you know what I mean? <laughs> he is spicy and an imposter. So he's he's notice how he is putting words. This is what you must believe in. This is like when you almost hear some other people say, well, you must be saying you believe in three gods. huh?" Bob didn't know what it was saying when he was saying one God. It's even though you may say that this is how you feel the argument leads. But to make it seem that this is what the person is saying. From an academic standpoint, I'm already kind of um, in doubt of your integrity as an interlocutor of your position. And an imposter and a uh, tamperer with his word. If when he was himself a son to himself, he assigned the part of the son to be played by another. When all the scriptures attest the clear existence of and distinction in the person of the Trinity. And indeed furnish us with our rule of faith that he who speaks and he who is of whom he speaks and to whom he speaks cannot possibly seem to be one and the same. So this is interesting. If you're saying that because they're having a conversation that they cannot be one of the same. Why then do you make it okay that they're the same one in essence? 
That's that's beside the point of what he's saying. Uh, so absurd and misleading a statement would be unworthy of God that when it was uh, that that when it was himself to whom he was speaking, he speaks rather to another, not to his very self. Now, it's important to remember earlier he talked about the Lord being able to speak to himself as a man ponders his own thoughts uh, to himself, contemplating. And so now it's all of a sudden like this is not the case, even though I do believe when he said that he is speaking um, from a pre-creation standpoint. So to me, this definitely doesn't seem like the form of Trinitarianism that we are used to. This seems more like uh, sequential Trinitarianism, if anything. Here then other utterances also of the father concerning the son by the mouth of Isaiah. Behold, my son, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I am well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Uh, it is a prophecy concerning the, the, the son or how we would see this apostolic incarnation. Here also what he says to the son. It is a great thing for thee that thou shouldest be called my son to raise up tribes of Jacob and to restore the dispersed of Israel. I have given thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mightest uh, be their salvation to the end of the earth. Uh, that's a that's another quote. And I can't quite remember. Let me see if I can grab the scriptural text for that so we can do a little uh, research, because I want to make sure I'm giving you the um, the most accurate representation of Tertullian. Uh, let me see. It's a great thing that should be called my son. And I'm going to going to do some handy dandy uh, searching in my logos. And it's just real time steady here, folks. So. This is going to let you be able to see what's exactly going on. So let's look at Tertullian. Let's see. Uh, Isaiah 49 and 6. Let's pick that up. Uh, and I forgot to notate on the uh, screen so you could see it. So let's turn Isaiah 49 and 6. And what's interesting, I actually had a debate on Isaiah 49. Uh, and let's let's see. So he's saying. It is Tertullian's allegation that the father is talking uh, to the son here. So let's see uh, if other Trinitarian commentators will agree. Uh, let's see, because one thing I've noticed, just because it's ancient doesn't mean that it's right. And I think sometimes people have a tendency to give things a... Um, how can you say a, a, a past because what's well, old? So it must be correct when anybody who is familiar with thinking critically, they are aware that this is not necessarily the case. So let's see. So I'm just going to look at a few commentaries here. Let me see. Yeah, let's 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 use this commentary. Barnes notes on the Bible. And he said that is Yahweh said to uh, his promise to the Messiah. Okay, so some commentators do see it this way uh, to raise up the tribe of Jacob. Okay, so there's one commentary that sees it like that, uh, that this is a prophetic declaration. It is a, is it a, a light thing. Is it a too little thou shouldest uh, beheld? Uh, let me see. Gill's exposition on the entire Bible sees it this way. 
And he said, or even he said, namely, the Lord is uh, his God that called, appointed and strengthened him for his service. Is it a like thing that thou shouldest be my servant to rise up tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? The tribes of Jacob and the preserved of Israel are the elect of God among the Jews. Though the characters agree with all that God has chosen, the nations who are dispersed for the rest of the world and are preserved in Christ. Uh, therefore, they are called. So I could definitely see this as a um, prophetic overshadowing, even though in the context I'm not exactly sure if that's it, that can be used to be proven that God is talking to a separate divine person. It seems to me that this is still in the context of him speaking prophetically. Tertullian goes on. He speaks of himself likewise to the father in the psalm. Forsake me not until I have declared the might of thine arm to all the generations that is to come. Mm. Also to the same purport in another psalm. Oh, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? So. Hmm. But almost all the psalms which prophesy a uh, notice, this is he's saying it of himself that these are prophetic psalms prophesy of the person of Christ represent the son as conversing with the father that is represent Christ as speaking to God. Observe also the spirit speaking of the father and the son in the character of the third person. Now, just 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 notice this. He has already made it clear. These are prophetic utterances, but in it, they state it like he's speaking to them. To me, it's almost akin to Isaiah 45 when the Lord is talking to King Cyrus, it's anointed, even though we know he wasn't talking to someone, he was speaking prophetically. But let's let's see how his logic goes further. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Likewise, in the words of Isaiah, thus said the Lord to the Lord, uh, to the Lord, mine anointed. Likewise, in the same prophet, he says to the father, respecting the son, Lord, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. We brought a report concerning him as if he were a little child, as if he were a root in a dry ground who had no form, no comeliness. These are a few testimonies out of many, for we do not pretend to bring up all the passages of Scripture because we have tolerably large accumulation of them in a various heads of our subject. As we in our several chapters call them in as our witnesses in the fullness of their dignity and authority. Still in these passages, a uh, few quotations, the distinction of persons in the Trinity is clearly set forth. For there is the spirit himself who speaks and the father whom he speaks and the son of whom he speaks. In the same manner, the other passages also establish each one of several persons in special character. Addresses they in some cases are to the father or to the son, respecting the son in other cases to the son or to the father concerning the father. And again, in other instances to the Holy Spirit. Now, what we just saw was Tertullian interpreting and implanting what he thinks the Old Testament witness is. Uh, I would ask anyone to look at the texts that were mentioned by Tertullian, go back and look through them critically. Where will you see the spirit saying this and that? And to, he is he is straw manning and he's using a horrible hermeneutic to build the position that he's trying to make possible. Uh, but we're going to pick up with the next chapter, which will be chapter 12, which will be other quotations from the Holy Scripture, adduced in proof of the plurality of persons in the Godhead. So, hey, I'm so glad that you've joined us. And remember, it is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus.